Hi, my name is Jeff Fagano, and thanks for tuning in to the Harpen and Rugby podcast. HarpenandRugby.net is an unofficial fan site for Leinster and Ireland rugby, with write-ups every Monday after matches, and regular coverage of the latest news and opinion via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course this pod. If you haven't already, please subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts as well as a host of other platforms. This weekend sees both Leinster and Ireland action again. Obviously, our main focus here at Harpen Manor will be this Six Nations decider in Paris. But for this week's podcast, we're going to look a bit further ahead to Leinster's first ever Monday night fixture when the boys in blue travel to Glasgow to play the Warriors at Scottstown. In the latest in our Opposition View series, I asked one of their biggest fans, David Arnott, to tell us about how their squad is looking this season. Then as a bonus, I've recorded an audio version of my Ireland v Italy match write-up, or as I call it, even though nobody else in the universe does, my match speak-up. So without any further ado, here's this week's pot. Now it's time for our back and forward chat, and joining me this week to give us an opposition view for Glasgow Warriors, who play Leinster next Monday evening, is the first-time guest on the pod, who goes by their Twitter handle, at ThePenGW, and describes themselves as Glasgow Warriors fan and former Scrum Magazine columnist. Welcome to the Harpen and Rugby podcast, Mr. David Arnis. Thank you for having me. Ah, indeed. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, so tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into rugby and following Glasgow. Um... It all started a few years ago. Uh, my wife uh, is, is South African born, um, so we ended up, we hadn't been to a game before, we ended up going through to a Scotland-South Africa game and got hooked ever from there. Um, Glasgow is the local team um, as far as pro sides go, um, so we, we end, I ended up buying a, a few tickets to go along to there and then snowballed into a season ticket and uh, been there ever since. They've definitely had, uh, they've definitely been on a steady rise in the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been phenomenal to watch. Um, just from from going from very kind of very average uh, stuff at, at Thurhill to to all of a sudden, you know, top getting into to playoffs on a regular basis, getting to the final, and then thankfully winning it and staying there and thereabouts ever since. Yeah, and um, when I looked at um, when I looked at their you know just research and looked up in their record last season, I, I I knew these two things to be true, but I never put them together. It was like you, first you had um, in Europe, you did really well in Europe, and you came just to the cusp of the top eight, only to be denied. And some might some might say that uh, you know when Saracens were up to their various shenanigans, had they been booted out, Glasgow were next in line. And uh, so first you had yeah. that. And then, of course, along comes COVID, and um, you ended up finishing third, which would have been a playoff place, um, and uh, just denied there. So it was just just nearly, um, you know, in both in both cases. So I mean, did was was that considered um, a, a good season, a season you could build on with new coaching, coaching staff, and all that kind of stuff? How was it seen? Um, last season was a bit odd because we knew very early that Rennie wasn't going to be hanging around. Um, we knew he was he was on the way, and it started brightly enough, but it started to wane quite quickly. And um, you know, Europe, yeah, we were unlucky in Europe. We played some great some great matches. Um, the league form was quite inconsistent, though, and uh, I think that was what that was what did it in the end. You know, that inconsistency. You're not picking up wins. You're not picking up bonus points. It starts to harm you after a while, and. Yeah, COVID was unfortunate, but I'm not sure. I we we may have made the playoffs, but 
I don't think we'd have been in real serious contention of getting to a final or anything like that, I have to say. And then, of course, you know, with just a couple of weeks and then we're into this season and um, just had a look back over the record there and um, you started off away to Connacht. It's a, never an easy place to go um, any time yeah. of the season. That was, a, that was yeah. a tough one. But then you hosted the Scarlets and you got a win there. And I just watched... Um, uh, the match against the Ospreys, which is actually yeah. that's Leinster's next two opponents, actually there, yeah. and that was an interesting game. Um, there was uh, considering there was an international weekend, both both international teams were playing. There were good lineups, um, yeah. especially in the backs, and uh, you started well, um, but it just it, it just I, I guess Ospreys just slowly got into it, and Myers boot kind of ground just down. What, yeah. what did you What did you make of that game? I thought for the first. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, we looked, I wouldn't necessarily say we in control, but we were playing some good stuff. We had a couple of chances, a couple of knock-ons that denied us different things. Defence looked pretty solid. After the sort of 20, 25 minute mark, it really started to go downhill quite quickly and uh, it just descended into to not playing well. Nothing was sticking, nothing in the back, uh, the, the back play was sticking too many penalties and yeah we just I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that was an that was a weak Ospreys team as you said it was you know it had international players on it but I think that's a team that we should have been beaten given the lineup that we had yeah it was you know very that. it was very dead. Definitely an impressive lineup. And just just before we go on, I just uh, this is a free this is an open space. If you if you want to give out about the referee George Clancy, you're free. Uh, <laughs> I, I, that would normally be one of my favourite pastimes, but I can't blame him at all. Yeah. I, I, you know, he made a couple of decisions that you think, well, that's questionable. But you know, did he really do anything that cost us the game? No. And in the end, he gave us a penalty in front of the post, and we chose not to kick it. Mm. Yeah, you I know, thought that was that, uh, with a, just a shipped a yellow card as well. That would have been a chance. You would yeah. have been a chance to get back up there, and yeah. um, and also like in the first half, you got the two early tries, and you literally came within a blade of grass of a third, yeah. which would have made a big difference. I I, I actually thought he scored the scored at that stage. It was uh, it was yeah. just is what they say. What is it they say? The fine margins, whatever. But um, yeah. how how yeah. would you see? Um, like from what you've seen of Glasgow for the first three games, how would you see them as a as a squad going forward? It's difficult to tell. The obviously with the internationals coming up, it's very much disrupted uh, the the team. Um, plus the the C word, uh, you know, we're all fed up with hearing about COVID, but I don't think we've been able to strengthen in the way that we should have done. Um, whether that's purely down to COVID or whether that's down to the coaches thinking that they've got the players to, to handle it or not, I don't know. But let's go assume that it's the COVID uh, problem. I don't know how this season is going to go. Mm -hmm. I think we're very much in transition. New coach, new coaching setup. Uh, not an, not a great influx of players to come in. So I think he's going to have to very much work with the core that he's got. But we're not going to see them until what end of November. The vast majority of players. So I think we've been. We could have won. We could have easily won all three games so far. Mm -hmm. But we're not. Something's not sticking. And whether that's him getting his coaching points across or uh, the players just not quite being up at the level, I don't know. But. I think it's going to be a season in transition, I have to be honest. 
And in terms of like playing style, I mean, one of the one of the um, the highlights of Glasgow when they when they when they got to a stage where they were winning titles and uh, mm -hmm. doing well in Europe and stuff was that they were they were developing their own kind of personality mm -hmm. as a, it was a way of playing from Townsend to Rennie and it was it, mm -hmm. it was a kind of you kind of knew what you were getting with Glasgow and you knew it was always going to be a tough game. Do you, do you think Wilson is going to just continue that on or? Put his own stamp on it, or what? What, what do you think? Do you think there'll be any major shifts in that? In that I sense, think, I think it's. I think it's probably going to be a bit of both. I think the style that we play is to to throw the ball around, and it's very quick, um, and a lot of times it works, and when it works, it looks fantastic. Um, what we're going to have to do this season is tighten up a little bit at the back, um, and not concede the silly points that we have in previous years. I think Wilson will want to do that. I think you you can see some of that already. I mean, for some of the some of the uh, the time on Saturday, the, the defence was fantastic. I mean, there was a sort of period just before half time. They ultimately they, they did end up conceding, but they, I mean they they kept Ospreys out for as long as possible. So that does seem to have improved slightly. We haven't seen the fast attacking that we would normally have seen, but again, personnel are away, so. How much of that is affected by by what's what's not available? You know, we've got no Hastings. We've got uh, okay, we've got Jones at, at at fifteen, but we've not seen Kyle Stain, for example. Sam Johnson only played on Saturday for the first time after injury. Um, it's going to take these guys a wee bit of time to get back in. We've not seen George Horn much either, obviously with the, the internationals. So these are all guys who you know they they get the they get the ball rolling and they get it going quick. Um, so we're minus them. So I think it will continue that we will play some quick stuff, but um, I think he's going to try and as best as possible to to improve the defence as well. Yeah, I mean it's like like I say, Glasgow has created their own style. Like you say, putting it about. I mean, you could mm -hmm. literally see Glasgow's imprint on the Champions Cup final. You know, mm -hmm. on both sides, and it's um, yeah. and, and that that's a measure of the success that they've had. Um, do you mm -hmm. see a problem? Uh, not so much of a problem, but uh, um, uh, like you say, you've no Hastings at the moment, and um, mm -hmm. like Peter Horn did very well in the first half. But I I always feel like he's he's the guy they put in there when they don't have someone else, kind of thing. That he's not mm -hmm. uh, he he he's he's not sort of an eighty minute kind of a ten. Um, no. So what, what are there? We're getting into this next bit where I was going to ask you what kind of players do Glasgow have coming maybe through the ranks that we'd be looking out for? Is is there anyone maybe that could 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 fill in for Hastings when he's not there, more of a natural ten or what's what's coming down? Um, we've got um, we don't really have an awful lot of options at ten. I'm not going to lie. We've got uh, Horn Hastings and Brandon Thompson. Brandon Thompson's been injured quite a lot lately. Um, he was on the bench on Saturday, so we might see him coming in. He's more of a natural 10. Um, as far as youth goes, I'm not going to lie. I haven't been checking who was coming through the line, so, um But, yeah, we're, we're, it's a position that we're light on. It's, it's something that, that many fans have spoken about, is that we'd like to... We love Hastings. I think Hastings is a tremendous player. I think when Hastings isn't available, we have issues. Um, as I said, Thompson was injured for a long time, which meant that Horn had to step in. And with all due respect to him, he's a great player. He's been a great player for us over the years. He's not a 10. Mm. 
Um, he's a guy who gets asked to fill in the position, and he does it to the best of his ability. You know, and sometimes, I mean, there have been games where he's played at ten, he's played an absolute blinder. Um, but it's not his natural favoured position, and I think it shows sometimes. And it's maybe unfair to criticise him on the back of it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like like even on Saturday, like we were saying, you you're, you're stacked with options. Uh, in the in the back line, you know that that centre pairing of um, Johnson and Greg was like, I mean, that's 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 a side you'd start in like in Europe, you know, no problem. And uh, Hugh Jones full back, and um, but what about on the pack now? You've got Richie Gray back um, playing for mm-hmm. you, and um, what and what what kind of uh, like how do you see the pack sh- shaping up going forward? Um, I think it looks it looks pretty decent to be honest. Um, we've got some good players. Um, We've got some, you know, we've got we've got Leone Nakarawa to come back, for example. Um, we've got uh, well, Richie's back. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we've yet to see the best of him, I would say. Um, and we've got uh, Hamish Bain, who made his debut on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, Aki Sierra's looked really good um, since he's come in. Couple of low, or couple of guys on loan and short term, which we haven't seen much of. So it's hard to hard to make a, any judgment on them so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've got the, uh, the only thing I would say is um, again Matt Ferguson's away great player in the pack um, I'm not sure that we've still got the availability of uh, Wilson, Fizarro, Harley these guys to do it time in time out all the time yeah it's just a worry I mean these guys have been at the club for a long long time they've been fantastic servants um, I'm not sure that I'm not, I'm not sure how much we'll see of them past this season. I suspect Fizarro, this is this is maybe around about his last season. I think Wilson's gone off form a little bit. Um, Harley's still getting called up to Scotland squad. Um, but again, his isn't, his isn't an issue of, of how well he plays. It's 100% every game. I think more, I don't know how much more of his body can take it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like you say, there's a, there, there's definitely still a strong team there. Once, but like you say, it's a, the season is just so stop start with in, internationals and weird places, and Europe's in a weird place. It's just and no crowds and just everything. It's 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 hard for any team to to really f- find an identity. You just really have yeah. to play play each play play one week to the next. You know, I suppose that's uh, yeah. and and make do the best you can. And you still have, of course, um, like every Leinster fan when we think of Glasgow, we think of Mr. Matawalu. Um, and the, his 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 just ability just to come in and uh, and just score tries from literally literally any corner of the park. I mean, he still as he does he still have that pace? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's still got he's still got some of that pace. He's he's used a little bit less now than I would probably like to see. I'd probably prefer to see him a bit more on the pitch, but um, we just we just don't see quite the same all from him, but. As an impact sub, I mean, he's fantastic. You know, he can, he, he, he's got that pace and he's got that ability to, to, to just ghost past people and to for his teammates not to know what he's doing, never mind the yeah. <laughs> Sometimes maybe he doesn't even know. <laughs> he starts running. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, no. He's he's a he's a definite figure, and we we always we always spot his. We know, like, if he's on the bench, like we're we're always wary, Leinster, that 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 he's mm. that he's that he's ready to come on and uh, can 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 really set the game set the game alight. Well, that's great. Now, um, just just to finish off, um, just to talk about the actual, I'm trying to get people's uh, 
opinions on the Pro 14 as an mm. actual competition. Now, again, we've already said this is a weird season and there's mm. a lot going on. There's a lot of, you know, um, adaptations that have to be made given with the no fans and stuff. And uh, mm. first of all, what, what's your thoughts on the Monday night matches? Um, I think it's I think it's relatively enjoyable. You know, it's, it's worked for football. I don't see why it can't work for us. How it would work with crowds, I don't know. I think it, I think it's very much that they are, that no crowds has given them ability to do it. Hmm. Uh, let, let's let's be honest. You know, yeah. Would you? You're not you're not likely to see Glasgow versus Leinster on a Monday night any other time. It's it's a Friday night fixture. It's a you know it's a Saturday evening something like that. But. Yeah, they may as well explore it while it's available. Um, we live in strange times. Why not? Why not try these things? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, especially uh, Leinster in particular. I think they send to they tend to send a lot more fans to away matches as well. And I know that mm-hmm. you know if it was Glasgow, there'd be there'd be definitely. I mean, hundred, two hundred at least uh, yeah. going over. Yeah. And uh, but they just wouldn't go if it was a Monday, um, yeah. Monday night because of work and everything. So uh, we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. But no, like you say, I mean, it's uh, if you can do it with no crowds and uh, just gives an extra night with something something good to watch and uh, yeah. definitely um but just on the competition now as a whole now of course taking covid out of it mm-hmm. although covid does affect the south african teams but then again you know one of them was kind of on the way out anyway how mm-hmm. how do you see the, the the state of the competition now it's start it's still the pro 14 but there's still only 12 clubs and now there might be 16 down the line i mean how, how do you how do you see all that that panning out for the for the competition um, I think I, I have to be honest. In, in previous times, I've been dead against likes of um, them going to America and try to find teams in America and things like that. I do think that certainly the cheetahs worked. Um, Kings not so much, but there was a lot of budget issues. Obviously, cheetahs definitely worked. Um, they were good. They were able to. I mean, we had a couple of cracking games in Bloemfontein against them. Um, they they always scored a lot of tries. Um, I think South African teams could work definitely. You know, it's, it's it's happened before. I don't see why adding the other four wouldn't work. I think you have to then be careful though. You don't just turn it into an international league where you just start plucking teams from here, there, and everywhere. You know, it's it's it starts to become a big bit of a sham after that if you if you keep doing that. I think with the, the South African experiment has worked. I don't see anything wrong with bringing in the four teams that they've spoken about. After that, I think you've kind of got to leave it alone. I mean, it's definitely going to get to a stage where they're going to have to stop using numbers because it's just going to be changing it every season. Just, just you know, call the, call the league pro rugby or something, and just just forget about the numbers. It's just 16, 18, 20. I mean, what, where, where is that going to end? You know, um, and I, you know, I, I, I suppose if. It, it there, there's a with as with everything else there's a money aspect to it too i mean if the mm. if the if the italian federation the south african federation are shelling out the dust to have their teams play play in our league i suppose we can't really sneeze at it if we're going to keep up with no. english but um it just from a just from a look of a i mean we're used to you, you look at the english league it's settled it's got their 12 teams then the top 14 but then the pro 14 itself it's it's a unique thing and it sort of has to be with a joint Mm-hmm. Because it's all the the, the countries working together, yeah. it's the only way we can have a, a proper competition. Yeah. So I suppose there's there's all, we we have to give a bit of leeway and we have to take it as yeah. it is. But um, no, that's we'll, we'll just see how that goes down the line. I was just gonna say, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna add 
if you're going to add in over the elves, it would be it would be nice, and it would probably benefit to add someone like a Georgian side if, if it's possible. You know, mm -hmm. somebody like that or a or um, Romanian possibly. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna go down that route, those might you know, be two two bad options. Still keeps it in Europe. It's quite it's quite handy. Um, but I would I would call a halt absolutely at that. Yeah, can't, yeah. Can't, can't keep adding teams every year from different no, continents. No, no, it just get ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, doke. Well, listen, listen. We're wrapping up there. Thanks to me and Dave for coming on. And um, listen, it, you know, we're, we're recording this on the Tuesday, so it's almost a week until the game. And there's a lot of games going on the weekend. How do you see the uh, Six Nations panning out this weekend? Um, I think Scotland could do quite well against Wales. Um, we don't generally do well in Cardiff, I have to say, but I think we looked reasonably sharp on Friday night with a with a, a decent side. Um, I think, I, I still fancy, I probably fancy the Irish to win it, to be honest. Fair play. Fair play. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy in, um, it's not going to be easy in Paris, never is, but especially they, 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 they're yeah. a good team this year. But um, just, I mean, what I want to see is, I just want to see them going for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They've, they've, if they get four tries, um, they'll win it, and I'd rather they went down swinging. Um, it, you yeah. know, if they're gonna if they're gonna lose, like you know, don't kick the three points. It's not often I say that, yeah. normally, but you know, go for the tries and just you know give it a shot, and it could be another exciting finish. You know, it's uh, it's okay. it's really setting up to be an interesting interesting weekend. But um, it's got potential, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then we'll have more internationals in a few weeks in this new mm -hmm. uh, autumn autumn thingy, whatever it is, uh, at the end of the year. <laughs> so so that that'll be interesting as well. Well, listen, David, thanks for coming on. Um, we'll That's hopefully great. have you back maybe later. Uh, maybe if Ireland play Scotland later in the year, we'll have an old chat before that is again. And um, and here's to a good game next Monday night, and uh, we'll see we'll see we'll see how we get on. All right, listen, thanks again, Dave, for yes, coming sir. on. All right, and stay no, safe. No problem, that's all brilliant. Thank you very much. The following is an audio version of this week's match write-up on HarpenOnRugby.net for the Ireland versus Italy Six Nations match from the weekend just gone, and the title is Farrell Ball. No pressure, Andy. Your task in taking over the Irish job is only to follow a coach who may not have reached the holy grail of a World Cup semi-final, but still shattered pretty much every other ceiling left for him by his own predecessors. Oh, and if you wouldn't mind just reinventing a whole new style of play as well, that'd be grand. And just to finish off the challenge nicely, what say we let you get three games into your first Six Nations before making you wait about seven months to resume? All you have to do then is get maximum points from two matches with no warm-ups, including a trip to Paris against a French team that's a good one this year. No bother to you, man. Quite the task when you spell it all out like that, isn't it? Normally, as I watch my team play under a new coach like this, I spend my time looking for that new style. But when I watched this match first, all I could think of was the bonus point win. I guess you could put that down to 2020 being the way it is, and I just wanted something super positive to cheer me up. But when I watched it the second time, free from the shackles of not knowing how it would turn out, I saw something different altogether. There was, after all, a definite pattern to the way we were approaching the game. Definitely a departure from the Schmidt era. And remember, that's not to denigrate Joe in any way. It was just that time had moved on and we needed something new. Central to the new order was always going to be the scrum half. And much has been said about how Connor Murray only did the two box kicks throughout the match. This is true, but it was never going to be enough that he just cut that aspect out of his game. We needed to replace it with something which had to be an improvement, and it was for the most part. 
Don't worry, I'll get to the actual match eventually, but I want to make some overall points first. We may have nixed the straight-up-in-the-air box kicking for now, but that doesn't mean we stopped putting boot to ball altogether. We clearly had license to put it into space when we saw it, and between Sexton, Murray, Ringrose, and Stocktail, we had decent footballers who were able to do that effectively. Okay, I've said the name Stockdale now, so I may as well deal with him here, as he's another hot topic of varied opinion these days. From a technical standpoint, I don't think he had a good game as fullback on Saturday. There were positional issues, he completely fluffed a routine clearance from his own 22 that was lucky to bounce before the touchline, and while there were positives, the fact that his supposed defensive frailties weren't really tested makes me anxious about what ha might happen in Paris next week. All of that said, I can still see why the decision seems to have made to try him out there in the first place. I'm working on the purely hot take theory that this was a plan going back to the COVID break, and that he was returned to fullback at Ulster in preparation. That definitely made sense, particularly when you realize his handy left boot is one of many strings we lost from our bow with Rob Carney's test retirement. The thing is, though, there's another quality left boot about to qualify for Ireland, one that will bring a lot of other qualities to our back three. And what's more, we have a winger who's just showed on his debut he belongs to test level that could easily move to full back. But that's all down the line, I guess. Does my criticism mean I reckon Jacob should be dropped altogether for Paris? Ugh. Just come back to me after I harp on the actual 80 minutes, will you? It certainly wasn't a great start for Jacob, nor Ireland, as his attempt to keep the ball in play from their exit clearance after kickoff gave them good possession at halfway, and shortly afterwards, a pass to their number 8, Jake Pelledry, that was just behind him, meant he could grab it in such a way as to blow by his opposite number, CJ Stander. Within seconds, Italy were defying the script from my preview by attacking our line. Connor Murray was heroic in hauling down his opposite number, Marcello Violi, five metres out, yet despite the best efforts of Alan Quinlan in the Virgin Media commentary box to exonerate him, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't fully back referee Matthew Carley, who I thought was excellent throughout, in awarding a yellow card. There was no release after the tackle, and whatever the time on the clock, I've often said penalties shipped in that exact scenario are one of the reasons why we had the sin bin in the first place. So there we were, 3-0 down after a few minutes with a possible question mark over our defense, one we would go on to erase for most the entire match. We also had an immediate problem to solve in, the, in that the word to the wise in rugby circles is that the 9 is the hardest to replace for 10 minutes, unless, of course, you have arguably the most well-rounded footballer in test rugby on the pitch at that moment. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Gary Ringrose effortlessly kicking a conversion from the touchline for Leinster when required. Now we needed him to get quickly to breakdowns and be accurate with passes for 10 whole minutes. Well, after Rob Herring, Tigburn and Bundiaki provided the pressure after the restart to force a choke tackle, our starting outside centre did just that. There really didn't seem to be much loss from our game, and remember, we were also a man down, as we ticked our way through phases courtesy of relentless pressure until CJ Stander got the ball down over the Italian line and settled the nerves of all the Irish fans watching at home. Eventually, Ringrose proved he's at least a bit mortal when a pass went astray, but still, we managed another three points without Murray. And what's more, we clearly patched the hole in our defensive line. If you told me afterwards we achieved a rake of jackal penalties on the day, I'd have presumed CJ Stander was responsible for them, but Herring, Porter, and Connors were also in on the act. For the next while, we were struggling a bit to get the second try, mostly from our own doing when attacking lineouts went wrong and poor Ringrose was unfortunate enough to catch the knee of Eduardo Panavani, who was in the act of kicking as far as possible, I might add, full in the jaw, meaning the early introduction of Robbie Henshaw. 
But Gary's Leinster teammate quickly proved his worth to the Irish setup when a long looping pass following a sweeping play through the backs fell to debutant Hugo Keenan, not Keegan as many keep saying on social media. Get it right, folks. You'll be using this surname a lot, I reckon. And Keenan's rise and rise in recent times continued as he completed his task out wide to perfection, despite the attention of multiple defenders around him. Just a couple of minutes later, he thought he had a second, and just as importantly, Stockdale thought he had his YouTube moment breaking from deep and setting him up as we know he can, but the TMO spotted a block from James Ryan providing the space and called it all back. Was it a block? Meh. Probably to the letter of the law it was, but I don't agree with the officials in how they used his raised arm as evidence. I think Marco Lazzaroni's collision with Ryan is what forced the arm out, and I'm not 100% sure he would have gotten to Stockdale anyway. But the Leinster Lock's body language wasn't the best, I suppose. Anyway, we needed to get back down the other end as soon as possible, and after they pounded our defense with 17 phases in our 22, Clayland Doris ripped it free, managed to retrieve and charge out of our 22 before shipping it to Murray, who showed he's not all about box kicking thanks to a perfectly weighted grubber ahead that sat up for Keenan, and now he could get his second ever test try. For the second conversion in a row, Sexton made the touchline kick for the post look very easy. And just like that, we were one away from the bonus point with a handy 21-point margin as well. I won't lie, I was starting to get anxious about our ability to get that fourth try as the clock reached the high 50s. And it wasn't even the try the Italian scored in that time that made me feel that way. This was a good read by Padovani on a Sexton pass to Henshaw, which they ran back for an easy seven points. Not ideal, of course, but not a stain on our defense either. The problem was that although our play without the ball was impressive, especially during this patch, we were doing too much of it and in our own half to boot. We just needed that one more five-pointer and it needed to be soon if we could possibly pad the margin further afterwards. Eventually, we pinched a line out at halfway and Sexton was able to straighten his line and break into opposition territory before a couple of quick penalties gave us a line out close to their line. From here, it was pretty much a routine line-out. I reckon sub-hooker Dave Heffernan was meant to take it at the back of the mall, but instead it ended up with another debutant, Will Connors, who may not score tries too often, but in this scenario, going low to get the ball down was no bother to him. Phew! What's that? There was a suggestion it wasn't actually grounded? Shh! Someone might hear you. Now the pressure was off, but like I said, we couldn't let up from there, and the try of the match was to come. Stockdale took a decent catch on the run in his own half, and when he offloaded to Ed Byrne, the prop did incredibly well recycling while keeping the ball in play, despite only being two minutes into his own first test cap. From there, I didn't check closely, but I dare say between clearouts and blocking runs, all 15 boys in green were involved in the move that followed, including significant gains by Keenan, Stander, and Doris, before Murray provided the final ball to Sexton to finish off try number five. Now we had yet another Leinster man taking his international bow as Jameson Gibson Park stepped in for Murray, and when Sexton got on the end of his cheeky little exit kick after the restart, it looked like we could well see a lot more from him. Our attack was flowing really well for those last dozen minutes or so. Eventually we got try number six, courtesy of Bundiaki, and while everyone is rightly raving about the amazing offload from Peter O'Mahony that put him through, I'm not sure enough has been said about the rip from the breakdown by Will Connors that gave us the chance in the first place. To be fair, though, Will did go on to deservedly get player of the match, but that was probably more for the try and the 50 million daisy cutter tackles. So I thought I'd mention this deal. Awesome offload from O'Mahony as well, of course. Overall, we deserve credit for playing right to the end. A brilliant touch finder off a penalty from Ross Byrne put us five meters out, and this time Heffernan was able to get it over the line to cap his own debut with a try. 
and while Byrne has taken some stick for rushing his conversion to ensure another play, I myself would have been annoyed if he killed the match there, especially as the Italians seemed tired and exiting was one of our many strengths in the day. In the end, Omani was unable to gather the restart, and credit to the Italians, they could have also killed the match, yet it was their own rookie Paolo Garbisi, first player not alive in a year beginning with 19 to play Six Nations apparently, how depressing is that, who got the ball over the line and Haller winning margin back by seven. Was there a block in the build-up similar to that by Ryan earlier? Perhaps, but I guess we have to let it go. So there we have it. 50-17 is the final score I would have easily taken at kickoff. Although that late try did bring back memories from Rome 2007, and the scoreline wasn't far off either, and what's more, our chances of winning the title will also be decided in Paris, there is one important difference. This time, we get to decide our own fate. Now I have to go back to my earlier question. What of Stockdale? Well, for the sake of this particular tournament, I reckon our changes from this week to next need to be minimal. Like I said, I don't think he did great with a big spotlight on him, but I also we also have to remember the quality he can bring, and I reckon he can definitely find it, so better to leave him sorted out without risking a major change. Obviously, ring rows will need to be replaced, but for the most part, I reckon the 23 should be kept the same, and whatever score the English rack up against Italy, and whatever about the French continuing their form shown earlier in the year, I want to see us go out there with a the mind to getting the four tries from the kickoff. We have a set of matches before 2020 is up to use for experiment. For now, Andy has his plan, and I, for one, would like him to see it through. There were definitely issues from Saturday's 80 minutes, but nothing that can't be readily fixed in a week. Roll on next Saturday evening, I say. The end. Thanks for sticking with us right to the end, and thanks again to David for the chat. Next up, we have another very busy weekend ahead, with our normal schedule thrown out of whack a bit by the Monday night kickoff. Both Leinster and Ireland's matches will get the full harp and treatment, with previews, Twitter comments, match write-ups, and who knows, maybe even another speak-up if you're lucky. As always, be sure and hop on the Facebook page after full time in each match to join the discussion, and I'll be sharing the best opinions on the website. So until next time, stay safe everyone. Slán. <laughs>